Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. It is a goodly uh, morning. We won away from home. That constitutes goodly. Yeah, it constitutes surprise, I think. <laughs> uh, well, I, I suppose it was one of those games where the pressure was off. We tend to mm. do all right in those. And we even managed to win away on the last day of last season after that dismal run. So, yeah. Um, I suppose we shouldn't be too surprised, but I did actually enjoy the game largely because sort of during the course of it, I I remembered how much I dislike Burnley. Yes, I. Who's the guy? The guy that plays up front, Barnes. Well, there's Barnes. I'm going to have to Google Chris Wood. Chris is the other guy. Wood. Let me just make sure that this is the guy I'm I'm talking about. Hang on, Chris Wood, Burnley. Yeah. He looks like a school bully, doesn't he? Very much so. He looks like a big school bully who'd, like, pick on the little kids and take their lunch money. He looks like Biff from Back to the Future, kind (laughs) of. Yeah, he does. He's got sort of that big frame and slightly angular face of a bully. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And the sort of lower mandible of, of, I don't know, some kind of Staffordshire Bull Terrier or something. I don't know. Exactly, and 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 Barnes is, I think, a particularly unpleasant character, um, and just very annoying on the pitch. So that combined with, you know, sort of the home fans getting upset and all that, I, I enjoyed going there and sort of spoiling the final day of their season. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought that was an enjoyable part of yesterday, from what I could see. Anyway, it was a difficult game to watch. From a purely visual point of view, wasn't it? Because the camera at Burnley appears to be halfway to the fucking moon. Yeah. It's so high up and you're going, hang on a minute, who's that? And of course, our terrible kit doesn't really help because, you know, when you're playing on a slightly snot green pitch and you're wearing a snot green kit, it all blends into into one. I mean, it was easy to spot El Nenny and Genduzi because they were just the kind of they were the the bits of hair that were moving mm. around the pitch. Well, it was that? easy to spot them, but not necessarily distinguish them. Yeah, that's true. You, ever, you know the way they used to do stuff in the old days where, you know, uh, it would be some kind of uh, a guy dressed all in black and he'd have a white glove or a puppet on his, you know, that's how they did the special effects sure. back then. That's what it was like for Arsenal players yesterday. Uh, or trying to watch them anyway, so... Just a couple of wigs floating around <laughs> a snot-green pitch. Uh, yeah, I, I did find it tricky to watch. I was watching on an American stream, and the commentators were really driving me mad. I don't know who they were, but 
they, I, they seem to be big fans of Ashley Barnes and his yes. and his antics. In fairness, I thought they were quite uh, fond of Ganduzi as well, from what they were saying. My, th- I think I could be wrong, but I think the co-commentator was Gary Bertels, former right. Manchester United striker Gary Bertels. Um, I think that's who it was, but I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter, does it? Not enormously, no. But no. but all these factors contributed to me wanting us to win this game. I, I sort of grew into it. At the start, I was like, I cannot believe I'm watching this. This is completely pointless. <laughs> um, but Apart, apart you know, from it being your job, like, you know. Apart, apart from, from it being my job, I was like, <laughs> the, if this was not my job, I would definitely not be doing this. But... Uh, as was, you know, I grew into it. I became more interested as it wore on. Yeah, it, I mean, it was. It's very difficult to to talk about this game in any real significant way, isn't it? Because you know, it's not like we're looking at this performance to well, how's it going to affect us in our next game? Where does it where does it leave us in terms of our league position? Mm. It's all done. It's dusted. The season's over. It's fucking mental that the season is over already. It seems to you know, just a couple of weeks ago, it just started, and now it's mm. over. The time is is has fizzed by. So, um, what what way should we do this? I suppose we should talk about the game a little bit. It was quite even in the first half. We hit the post. They hit the post. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose the starting lineup was kind of as expected. You know, Aubameyang mm. did start looking for that golden boot. I'd love to know, like, what that conversation is behind closed doors. Do you know what I mean? Like, does he say to Emery, "Listen, I really want to play," and Emery goes, "Okay." Like, yeah. how does that? Happen? I would say that's probably it. Right. Yeah. You know, there's probably a conversation. I could win the golden boot here. Can I play? And Please. Emery goes. Okay. And that's okay. it. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and he, uh, yeah, in fairness to him, he left him on the whole game. I mean, he gave him every opportunity. Um, and yeah, some young players were involved. Joe Willock started. Yes. Uh, you which actually, I thought was, yeah, you called that the other day. Yeah. Well, he's had a very good season with the under 23s, and I, I thought. You know, maybe they'd you know give him a give him a go. Of course, Mesut Özil can't play in these games, so that helped Willock out, I suppose. We'll talk about that later. Okay, <laughs> we'll talk about that bit later because I think it's a thing uh, that we have to talk about. So yeah, that obviously opened the door because you know he just doesn't play in games like this, which is probably Ooh. what we'll talk about. Go on. In the first half, what was your reaction to when Mavropanos was injured and Laurent Koscielny had to be brought on? Was there any concern for you there about Koscielny playing? There was a little bit of concern, yeah, because he is so important to our our chances of winning the mm. Europa League. Um, we didn't have Socrates on the bench. Who else did we have? We didn't have anyone else. Did, did we, we have Maitland-Niles, I guess we could have Maitland made? Maitland-Niles, but then, you, oh. yeah, you've got... You'd have had Put to one move of the fullbacks Lich- in at centre half. Yeah. yeah, Lichsteiner, I guess, or yeah, Monreal could have gone in as well because Maitland-Niles could play on the left-hand side. Mm. Yeah, so I was a bit worried, and I thought that moment when it was Ashley Barnes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was Ashley Barnes who who pushed him uh, off the pitch uh, when he was in a slightly vulnerable position. We've seen this before, actually, a few times. Uh, Debushi obviously was the one that uh, springs to everybody's mind when Arnautovic pushed him and he ended up uh, crashing over. I think he crashed over the the hoardings and broke his arm, uh, dislocated his 
His shoulder or his collarbone, whatever it was. And then there was uh, one a couple of years ago as well when Alexis Sanchez ended up in the TV pit at uh, Carroll Road against Norwich. Quite why they have a, con- a concrete pit uh, along the side of the fucking uh, pitch is, is another question. But I, I think it's one of those things that tends to get ignored, um, even though potentially it can really, really cause injury to a player. I think it's it's the, the un... Um, the fact it's so unnecessary is what does me. Like if two players are going in and there's a challenge or if there's, you know, a, a good fight or whatever it is, you know, a physical battle, we all get that. But it's a bit sly and a bit snide, isn't it, to push a player when he's trying to stop and he's going off the pitch. And um, I thought that was uh, a piece of piece of nastiness from Barnes, which, again, played into uh, happiness in the end because we because we beat them. Um, yeah, I think it is... Uh nastiness from the player but I also think surely it's incumbent on the Premier League to say this isn't necessarily particularly safe like there must be things they could do to kind of assuage how dangerous that immediate area just around the pitch is we spoke earlier in the season about the fact that you know there's issues with the turf with it shifting from real turf to fake turf and Mm. that causes people to you know slip and uh, can create all sorts of problems there but I mean the fact that you have these sort of (laughs) concrete moats around the pitch I don't know. I mean, it's it is just to give prominence to advertising, but it doesn't feel. It feels like there's going to be another injury before long, doesn't it? It does, and hopefully it's not to an Arsenal player. You know, not that I want anybody in particular to get injured, but I think it is maybe something they will have to address. I don't know how exactly you do it, though. You know, because so many yeah. uh, uh, stands, uh, pitches are very close to the stands in in uh, many English stadiums, but maybe it's just a question of players not being cunts and pushing their fellow professionals into the advertising hoardings. That would be a very good way of preventing injury. Sure. That would be a start, wouldn't it? It would be a start, you know. Um, Yeah, so like a relatively even first half, nil-nil, and then what? It's kind of, I find it hard to keep track of the game because it was such a strange game to watch. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think there was any sort of immediate goal mouth action particularly in the first half there was the quite fun incident where Bern Leno kind of just ran into <laughs> Ashley Barnes <Yeah. laughs> which were, was strange they were, they were going crazy about that on the commentary they were going look he's just run into him they couldn't uh, um, I think it, I'm just looking back in the live blog I think it was Wood or Westwood whoever that pushed Cashel oh, right. not, not necessarily Barnes which doesn't mean to say Barnes is not a terrible person, uh, which of course he is. But um, yeah, they were going crazy on the commentary. Weren't they? Oh, that should be a penalty. What's he done? And uh, Mike Dean, of course, um, came back and <laughs> booked Barnes for that, which yeah. was brilliant. That was full on 100% Jens Lehmann from Bern Leno there. It was. He went full Lehmann. And what I liked about it as well is that he was very good at the sort of poker face afterwards, mm. you know, very apologetic offering the outstretched hand. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it seemed absolutely clear he knew what he was doing. You do, you are allowed a little bit of leeway as a goalkeeper, and he seemed determined to make the most <laughs> of the, what was afforded to him. Uh, early goal in the, uh, in the second half uh, from mm-hmm. Aubameyang. Bad pass from Burnley. Put him through, and one-on-one clinical finish, uh, and we're ahead. Uh, you know, he is very alive to those situations, isn't he? Yeah, and it was a very confident finish from him, the finish of a man who had scored a hat-trick in midweek and was chasing the golden boot and, yeah, capitalised on a mistake, raced through, 
lovely finish. Yeah. That was 21 league goals for the season and his 30th in all competitions. Yeah, and then he got his uh, 22nd and mm-hmm. his 31st. Uh, I thought this was a great goal. Iwobi had a really fine second half, I thought. You know, I know there have been times this season, too many times, where he hasn't quite been what we would like him to be. But I think when you see how he played in the second half yesterday, I wonder as well, was there an element of him being just a bit more fired up than usual? You know, I'm not saying he's casual, but there was a moment early in the second half, wasn't there, where he got taken out. He was running upfield. He got absolutely taken out, and he was not happy at all. The referee was having a word with him. He had a little bit of a set-to with your man... was it Loton? I think it was, over mm. on the right-hand side. You know, there was a tackle. Uh, you know, he was fired up, I think, because of that. So maybe what we need to do is, you know, get a B to sting Iwobi uh, on his arse before he goes out every game and just sort of uh, get him all fired up. Um, that could work. It would if we were playing Bs, I guess. We're not playing yeah. too many games against Bs. But you know what I mean? I think there was something about his performance that was driven by, you know, the injustice, if you like, if that's not uh, overstating it a bit, uh, of the treatment he was getting from some of the Burnley players. No, I think that's a really good point. And uh, I think as well, maybe that motivation comes from the fact that I don't think he played a single minute of the Valencia tie. I don't think he was involved at all in those games. And there's a cup final on the horizon. He, he's been in the team for much of the season, but has kind of slightly fallen out of it late. So he maybe mm. just wanted to remind the manager mm. what he could do. I think he finished with two assists, but this, this assist was a great one, a lovely little pick out. It was sort of that Alexis Sanchez pass he used to always do from the left-hand side, that little yeah. clip ball to the back post. And a, another brilliant, brilliant finish. I mean, the confidence and conviction with which Aubameyang took that was fantastic. Yeah, brilliant finish. Absolutely. Um, and he should have scored again, of course. Mkhitaryan set him up uh, and he put mm. the ball wide. Of course, we conceded uh, before that, though, uh, as we do. Um, not a particularly great advertisement for our defending, but then I suppose on the final day of the season, we had to had to keep up appearances, you know, give yeah. the people what they want. Exactly, you know, Arsenal gun Arsenal. And I felt a bit sorry for Bern Leno. He made a decent save, didn't he, in the build-up to the goal. Mm. Uh, pushed it wide, but then the ball came back in. I thought, I mean, I, yeah, it feels like piling on at this point, but I thought Mustafi was really caught uh, a little bit by Barnes, you know, at the, yeah. the post. He was caught ball-watching, but I have to say uh, he's got a lot of stick uh, on this podcast and everything else. Uh, in general, though, I thought he had a really good game because uh, he won a lot of headers, made a lot of tackles and clearances against two very physical centre forwards, you know, and that was really the only the only danger um, that they had. I know there was that moment where where Barnes hit the post, but he should have been given offside or, or Burnley should have been offside in, in that move. Uh, I thought Mustafi was quite good, but for the for the goal guilty of ball watching which I suppose in some ways sums up what he's about you know 90% good and then there's 10% which just ends up uh, you know being an issue but you know in general I thought yesterday he had a good game Uh, I'm not saying this because uh, I feel like this is a redemption arc for him and uh, you know next season uh, he's going to be great I don't think he should be here next season but you know credit where it's due he was all right. and alongside Koscielny I think they dealt pretty well with Barnes and Wood, you know. Um, mm. So, 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, Aubameyang missed that chance. I mean, I, I, it's one of those where my instant reaction was I couldn't believe he turned it wide. And then almost immediately I thought, well... I can. You just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just take the rough with the smooth with Aubameyang. And there is so much smooth. And, I, you know, that was... Uh, Sort of, I suppose, one of the big learnings of the last week. You know, he's made a massive impact. Five goals in our final two games, uh, tied for the golden boot. And yes, there have been misses along the way, but you know, he, 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 they certainly balance out and make it worthwhile, don't they? When you look at his tally come the end of the season, yeah, I, you know, I think. He's been fantastic, really. Uh, we do have an issue with creativity and creating chances, and I know he's missed. Uh, you know, a few opportunities this season where you would expect a striker. Like, it's it's hard to tally the fact that he is a 31-goal striker this season with some of the misses that we've seen from him because you would associate those with perhaps a more Bentner-esque striker, right? Mm. That kind of thing. So it's it's difficult sometimes to, to marry those two things. But I think as well, we do have an issue with with created, uh, with creativity with making chances um you know over the last number of weeks that certainly has manifested itself in in the performances and the results so i think when you have you know if you look at the arsenal team and you you go through the players who might create chances um we've come to understand under unai emery that it's going to be people from wide positions whether it's Kalasinac or Monreal, Maitland-Niles or Bellerin or whether it is somebody like Iwobi or Mkhitaryan who are playing in the wide forward positions, there's not a great deal of creativity that comes through the middle of the pitch, which may go some way to explaining why Mesut Ozil um, only has two assists in this season. But if you were to say we are going to have a season in which our, our main striker, one of our main strikers, I should say, scores 31 goals, you would expect a large number of assists from a player like Mesut Ozil, right? So yeah, certainly. I think that uh, I think that's even more to Aubameyang's credit that he scored that many goals without the service that we all would have expected him to have from Ozil. That's true. I mean, and you know, the Ozil thing is partly a stylistic thing. I think it's also a form thing for that particular player. But Aubameyang's also not the first striker to score lots of goals and miss a few high-profile chances. I mean, one thinks of. Uh, Edison Cavani, for example, uh, PSG mm. and Napoli, who you know had the, the, has that incredible movement where he's just able to get opportunity after opportunity. Even going back in the Premier League, someone like Andy Cole, you know, broke yeah. all sorts of goal-scoring True. records. But you remember him missing plenty of chances. Um, and ultimately, in the end, these things balance out, and there's a reason these players play for for top clubs and you know win all these uh, individual awards. So yeah, look, I thought it was a really good week for Aubameyang. Two brilliant goals. Shame he didn't get the the hat trick and yeah. the, set the seal on things. But there's no shame in sharing that award with Salah and Mane given no, those seasons. No, for sure. And I think you know he has been one of the great positives of the season. I've seen lots of people talk about the penalty miss against Tottenham as if that is the decisive moment in in our season uh, and and sort of pointing the finger of blame at him to an extent. Which you know I, I understand. It's a it's a moment which lives long in your memory, right? when you have a, a chance to win a North London derby away from home in the last minute with a penalty, and it's a weak penalty, of course. But, you know, there's much more to where we ended up this season than just that. Uh, and I think, you know, if we're looking for issues this season, a 31-goal striker 
is not one of our big issues. It's one of no, our I, big strengths. I agree with that. I, I think the weight of the of the derby game comes from the fact that in a in a league where everything was so tight, yeah, you know, at the top and in the race for the top four. I think actually those six-pointer games, I mean, ultimately, they're what decided the title. You know, City and Liverpool were neck and neck, but it was City's results against Liverpool that gave them that competitive edge. And, you know, given that we were so close with Spurs, those games are six-pointers. They do have a massive swing effect. So I can understand why people look at that ruefully, but, you know, there were plenty of other opportunities too along the way. And ultimately, four points from Spurs ought to have been enough. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. not, that's not a bad return. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, so, uh, Mkhitaryan, or Aubameyang, didn't get his hat-trick, but Eddie Nketiah came on, uh, got himself a goal, which I think is a really nice way to, to end the season for him. Mm-hmm. I guess there'd be a measure of frustration on his part because he was very close to going out on loan uh, in January. He would have gone on loan in January if um, Danny Welbeck hadn't been injured. He was needed Absolutely. as basically just needed as insurance, not a not a player to actually play a lot. But if something had happened to Lacazette or Aubameyang, then he would have been basically all we had to to fall back on. Um, thankfully, or you know, it, we had our two main strikers, but the cost for Enkedia was maybe five or six months of of regular football, which would have developed him and maybe put him in a better position to be part of the squad next season or not. You know, not quite sink or swim, but we would have had a better idea of where he is in his career. So nice for him to get on and and score a goal uh, because I imagine he would have been frustrated by by not being able to play more regular first-team football, whether whether it was for Arsenal or, or somebody else. Yeah, and a big landmark moment for him. I mean, we've had a few young strikers come through down the years through the academy, and I don't think, you know, Tuba Akpom never scored a Premier League goal for Arsenal. Shout out to Tuba, by the way, who oh, just yeah. won the double in Greece. What a goal he scored. A what a goal. Overhead kick in the cup final, yeah. I know. Uh, you know, Benek Afobe never scored a Premier League goal for Arsenal. So Eddie Nketiah has at least got that off his back at this point, and it might do wonders for his confidence you never know I mean he could be needed off the bench in Baku it's not a it's not beyond the realms of possibility and maybe he'll come on with that little bit more conviction having this goal under his belt I I saw some people saying he should have squared it for Aubameyang but I think a young player in that position you know he's desperate desperate to get that first goal I think you can definitely forgive him going for goal there yeah no for sure it went in and uh you know why not why not I mean he's there I'm I'm not 100% sure was he really Definitely 100% shooting because it took a couple of deflections. I'd have to watch it again. But I think it, I think it deflects off the goalkeeper twice. I think it hits both his feet. I've, I've got a sort of slight fear. There's a possibility it might be taken away from him, uh, but I'm, I hope not. I'm going to watch it again here, actually. Yeah. I felt like it looked like it hit the defender, but actually it sort of comes off the goalkeeper's two feet, but I might be wrong. Yeah. I guess if you're putting it in that area, it'd be mean, wouldn't it, to take it off? Yeah. It would be really mean, which is probably why. That's what they do, though, isn't it? They they took Thierry Henry's goal off him uh, against Blackburn at home in his second spell. Didn't they take somebody else's goal off them this season as well? Wasn't there one earlier this season where we thought the player had scored and they were denied? Probably. They're, They're real nitpickers like that. Joyless. Yeah. Absolutely joyless. Looking at the goal here, left foot. 
Yeah, give him the goal. It's his goal. I don't know that yeah. he could really have squared it for for Aubameyang either. No, I don't really think it's that on. No, to be honest. it's not. It's not as on as a couple of the other moments where I think Gendouzi late on had the ability to to play in Aubameyang, and uh, you know the final ball wasn't great. There were a couple of those actually where the final ball wasn't particularly good. He was good actually. I thought Gendouzi had a very good yeah. game yesterday. Um, it was a return to form, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a bit. Um, And again, with one game left to go this season, um, you know, it's important that these guys do find a little bit of of confidence. So we finish with a win, an away win, 3-1 to Burnley. We finish fifth in the the table, one point Mm -hmm. behind. Thank you, uh, Manchester United, by the way, (laughs) for providing some last day amusement. Ole is well and truly at the wheel, isn't he? Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, looking upwards, I mean, definitely feelings of frustration there. Mm. Yes. So, I mean, where where do you... I know this is not an easy question or yeah. anything, but how do, you, how do you feel about the season in general right now, this morning, as we're talking? I mean, what's your gut feeling about where we've finished? Well... Uh, the Premier League season, let's say, because obviously yeah. we've still got Europe to to hopefully finish the job. I feel frustrated, doubtless, at a missed opportunity. There's no doubt at all that Arsenal ought to have finished in the top four, possibly even third, given their fixtures in that final run-in. Yeah. Um, and, and that is maddening. And I think, in my mind, the blame for that is a portion to the coach and the players who collectively sort of choked under pressure. And there's there's no two ways about it, really. I mean, that's yeah exactly what happened. I, taking a little bit more distance, uh, have largely enjoyed the season, but I think it's sort of maybe for different reasons to uh, everyone else. I think that I've enjoyed... Just a slight feeling of novelty and sort of not necessarily uh, knowing what was going to happen week to week, which I felt like I'd lost that sense of uh, the unexpected, maybe, uh, with the way things had begun in the previous few seasons. Right. And as a season ticket holder, I have to say, and the atmosphere in the ground has been markedly better this year than it has been recently. The sort of toxicity that existed around the previous manager has largely evaporated and that has made actually going to Arsenal games sure. a lot more enjoyable. And, you know, as a as a fan, that's sort of a big part of my experience. So, yeah. you know, I, I've actually enjoyed it, even though I would say the football has not been brilliant. It's not been like, oh, we're so blessed to be watching this team with Mohamed Elneny in it. Mm. Um, you know, there've been some highlights with some big games. There've been some real disappointments, particularly in this run-in. But overall, I've kind of largely enjoyed it. But I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm possibly in a minority there. Right. Well, I mean, look, it's your own personal experience of it, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's not a right... That's all I can speak to in that in that respect. You know, it's not a right or wrong thing here. Um, you know, I have... What's been your, what's been your uh, uh, opinion? I feel frustrated because we put ourselves in such a great position, a fantastic position, 
to finish in the top four. I mean, we we should have finished third. Mm. And to me, that capitulation at the end of the season, the bad results, the way that I think you're right to to say it's on the coach and the players collectively, there's been a failure there to to get the kind of results that we should have got from those games. I I feel frustrated by it because it feels very familiar. If that makes sense, it's it. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot that was different about this season under Emery, but ultimately the feeling of if only we'd done this, if only we were so close, we should have. It's just it's been part of the Arsenal narrative for so long now that um, it, it feels familiar. You know, I think the fact we haven't been any better defensively is a real worry, and I appreciate the fact that he has had big problems uh, with personnel in defence. I think if we look back to the summer and what we did, there was a fundamental mistake in the way that we built the squad, which was not bringing in another central defender when we let Callum Chambers go on loan or simply... Mm -hmm loaning out Callum Chambers in the first place. I think that was a mistake because we were too light at centre half. Um, We didn't address it in January when Rob Holding, we knew Rob Holding was going to be out for the rest of the season. Mavropanos was going through an injury uh, issue himself and was still very, very raw. Um. I think that has been one of the major issues of the season. Mm. Uh, and I'm surprised and disappointed that the club didn't manage that better. I'm not pu- putting that on Emery, by the way. I, you know, I think whoever made the decisions, like I don't think it was Emery's decision to send Callum Chambers out on loan. You know, what, it couldn't have been because we gave him a new contract and Emery said, I'm looking forward to, you know, working with Callum. He's going to be part of our first team squad. And then within three or four weeks... He's he's loaned out to to Fulham. Something weird went on there, and I don't know what it is, um, but it was such a strange decision. We weren't strong enough. We did not have the requisite depth at centre-half. So I think that's been a big problem. Nevertheless, to have conceded 51 goals this season, you know, for a manager who is... uh, absolutely focused on the tactical side of the game and organization and uh, and those kind of things, mm. I think is really is still a bit disappointing. So I can see why there were problems. I just feel like over the course of the season, we didn't really get any better. I know we had a little spell where we had six clean sheets in seven games, something like that. But overall, you would have said that the big, big weakness in this Arsenal side was the defense. Um, you know, injuries to holding in Bellerin didn't particularly help either, but... Um, I, I sort of expected a little bit more from Emery in that regard. I agree. I actually think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, we're not as creative and we don't have as many shots and we don't have enough goal scorers. I actually think that is a slight red herring. I mean, when you look at the league table, we outscored every team bar Man City and Liverpool. And we're not close to them as a team. And I'm not mm. sure we should be saying, why haven't we scored 95 goals like Manchester City? Because we're not a team of that calibre. But in our sort of mini league between third and sixth, 
we were the highest scorers. However, we conceded 51 goals. Chelsea and Spurs conceded 39. And therein lies the difference. I do think that the defensive issues are kind of the thing with this team. The thing that requires fixing. And uh, we haven't really got any better in that respect and I almost feel like at sort of a midway point of the season there there was a bit of a sense of well this isn't I'm not going to say the coach stopped trying but it felt like there was an acceptance of this problem is not being fixed despite switching to back four switching to back threes trying different personnel different combinations different midfields in front of them there wasn't a way to stop this team conceding goals yeah uh And that is alarming. And the only thing really left is a sort of complete rebuild from a personnel perspective. Um, And I hope that's what happens this summer. But of course, that comes at a price. Yeah, of course. Um, I think as well, we have to point out that the Europa League final on the horizon is a fantastic thing, a great opportunity for us to win a trophy, to end the season, you know, uh, with success and entry into next season's Champions League. But also what it's done, I think, is taken the sting out of this fifth place finish. Of course. So if we hadn't, if we didn't have that Europa League final on the horizon and we finish fifth in the way that we finish fifth this season, I feel like there would be a lot more focus slash attention slash disheartenment, disenchantment, disenchantment's Mm -hmm. a better word, with Unai Emery and the work that he did on a Premier League level. Yeah, definitely like the the mood and the tone of all, of everything associated with Arsenal is kind of influenced by the order in which stuff happens, right? You Mm. know, like if if we'd been in with a chance of fourth uh, on the final day, and then not, and if Brighton had been the final game and we'd not got it done in that match, you know, the place everyone would be up in arms. It would be a, a crazy, it would be pitchforks at the ready kind yeah. of thing. Um, and obviously having the, the European final in the bag does a lot to assuage some of that discontent. I think that's true. I, I think that it, you just have to try and... You have to try and take more distance, and I think that means even if that means you go, well, you can't allow the European final to uh, cover some of the ills of the domestic campaign. Do you know what I mean? You have to try and look at it as a whole rather than... Yeah, uh, and look, it will. If we win the European final, it will absolutely um, bandage over those issues because they become less important. If we don't win the final, then we're going to look back and think that run-in, those games that we should have taken more points from, you know, they come back into to really sharp focus. Yeah. But I think that anyway, because I'd rather be going to European final with Champions League in the back. I think everybody yeah, would. Of course, of course. Um, well, look, I mean, I think in, in some ways, you know, we can talk about the players uh, and how they've performed, but we won't really have the ability to properly fully judge Emery's first season until after this European final, because, you know... Um, if his goal was to get Arsenal back into the Champions League, he still has a way of doing that, you know? Um, yeah, and I think as well, if you're assessing him, his appointment, say, I am convinced that his Europa League uh, abilities were a factor in his appointment. Mm. And so if he wins the Europa League and restores Arsenal to the Champions League, uh, the club will feel he did his job. You know? Yeah. 
Well, look, hopefully he can do that. I think we uh, we would benefit enormously from being back in the Champions League and obviously winning a European trophy would be a, a fine way to end the season. Uh, you know, a measure of success that's um, irrefutable. You know, we have a trophy in the mm. cabinet. We'll have next season's Champions League. We'll have the increased revenue. If we don't, that's a different conversation. We can discuss that uh, as and when the time comes. I do want to talk to you a little bit about Mesut Ozil, though. Um, I do. (laughs) Well, I just find it bizarre that there is this widespread, almost unquestioned acceptance that he doesn't play when we go away from home and it's a bit far north. You know, Mm. I know that's being very simplistic about the whole thing, but, you know, it, it is true to a large extent. He... He was not in the Be squad careful, yesterday. because I'm sure some Twitter account called Meza Erzl Facts will tweet you a list of away <laughs> games he's played now. Of course. <laughs> of course. Well, you know, let them. Uh, that's fine. I, I just find it bizarre that, that this megastar, which is what he is in football terms, you know, across social media, this world-renowned, supremely talented playmaker with genuine quality and an ability and vision and craft can't play away from home. And everyone goes, yeah, you know, that's that's Mesut Ozil. He just doesn't really play away from home. I mean, why? Why? Why is yeah. this? Why is this happening? And why does nobody, well, I'm sure many people do, but I think it's a problem. I think it's a big problem for a football club like Arsenal to have a player earning that much money who doesn't contribute anywhere near enough. And people go, yeah, but, you know, it's away from home. He doesn't, he doesn't really play away from home. I don't get it. Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. The first is that the reason people are relatively relaxed about it um, is that he isn't very good when he plays these games. <laughs> so it's not like we want him out there. It's not like we want him out there at Burnley and are like... But we want oh, we want well. a good Mesut Ozil out there. We've seen, you know... That doesn't, you know, that I know, doesn't happen I know, there. I know, I know. So, 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 yes, I understand what you're saying. And actually, I think Ozil probably would have been absolutely fine against Burnley yesterday. It was sort of an open-ish game. You know, if, if Joe Willett can handle it, I'm sure Mesut Ozil can. But... I think because he's disappointed in away fixtures so regularly that there's a bit of a, a shrug of, oh, well, you know, maybe we, you know, maybe we'll come up with something else that will be more effective, more efficient. I think the other thing, which is a, a sort of slightly odd thing, is that there's just so much sensitivity around this player that I almost feel people are a little bit reticent to criticise him. Um and I speak from personal experience as someone who has criticised him mm-hmm. and been accused of sort of uh, holding certain prejudices uh, that sort of go beyond him as an individual. And I thought sort of thing, I just can't be bothered to get into that again. <laughs> so inevitably, maybe people just go, it isn't worth it really to talk about myself. But yes, that is mad. I accept that is absolutely mad. And every time we talk about him, I feel like I'm treading on ice. But why? He's just a footballer like any other footballer. Yeah, but I mean, if you saw this happening at another club, you'd laugh your tits off, wouldn't you? 
Like if of you course. you just laugh your head off at how how ludicrous a situation it is that X team's star player who's been paid blah blah amount of money a week just doesn't do it away. A doesn't do it away from home, and it's got to the point where he doesn't do it away from home so often that the manager and the coach either doesn't include him in the squad or sits him on the bench or takes him off at half time. And I don't know. I, I mean, it's just not good enough. It's not. But the, it's not good enough. Surely, is it? No. Is it? Acceptable? I mean, we sort of we kind of scoff a little bit at. You know, the the star signing of Paul Pogba at Manchester United. Now, that's not necessarily gone to plan, but he has scored 16 goals this season and got 10 assists. Uh, and I almost feel like we're in this weird situation now where the coach is almost in the sort of same position as me, where he feels a little bit beholden to toe the line with the player. You know, I felt like when... Well, I feel like he, you know, he did sort of take a, a stance on us, and it wasn't a popular stance. But now it, it almost feels like that has softened. And I don't know where this is going. I mean, I saw another PR puff piece come out from Özil's agent in the week, uh, which I, I mean, I thought was. I just find it odd. I just find it odd. It's just brand management, really. And I'm sure he's a, a lovely man, but I sort of feel like the. Uh, the the need to tell us that constantly from his camp feels like an aware. It must be because of an awareness that things aren't quite right. You know, it feels to me a bit like there's some positioning going on ahead of this summer. That's what it feels like to me. That it's it's Messer loves this club and maybe he does absolutely love Arsenal. And I, I can't say and that he doesn't, right? I can't say, no, he doesn't love the club. Maybe he does. Maybe he really, really loves the club. And maybe he really, really loves being someone who doesn't play half our games. Maybe. But it feels to me just a bit like, okay, we're going to make sure everybody knows that Messer says he loves the club. And also, like, he doesn't want to leave. Whatever happens, he does not want to leave because he loves it so much at Arsenal, mm. right? So if this summer, as I expect, Arsenal try and move him on, he can then turn around and say, well, I, I always said I never wanted to leave. I never wanted to leave. I loved it here, but they're forcing me out. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on with those PR puff pieces. You know, they're sort of shaping the narrative where Ozil will be the good guy and Arsenal will be the bad guys because, quite rightly, we as a club feel we're not getting what we should be getting from a player who earns £350,000 a week. You know, he signed that contract uh, at the end of January 2018. And since then... He's made four Premier League assists. And we look at Alexis Sanchez and we say, you know, look how shit he's been at Manchester United. Mm. It's not too dissimilar from what's gone on with Ozil at Arsenal. In terms of their output and in terms of what they're capable of producing, they're both falling way below that after signing enormous contracts. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe they just miss each other. Maybe that's what it is. But it's hard not to 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 see some parallels in the two situations. I mean, the other thing that we could talk about is, you know, is Ozil's decline 
in part due to the way that Unai Emery wants his team to play. And it might well be. It Mm. might be a case that he is, out of all the players in our squad, completely unsuited to the type of football, whatever that is, that Emery wants to play. Right? Yeah. In which case, we still have a big problem that needs to be solved this summer. Because you can't carry that kind of financial burden. You just can't do it. No. And I think it is partly a stylistic thing. I think, you know, the way Emery sets his teams up doesn't necessarily suit Ozil as much as the way Arsene Wenger did. And I think that is having certainly an impact on his numbers. But who does? Mm. Who does? And, you know, Emery's team is set up in a, a modern way. You know, there isn't an Ozil figure at Manchester City. There isn't an Ozil figure at Liverpool. There's no one playing that position. And ultimately, in his last few games, he's been stationed as a, a number 10 behind two strikers. I mean, you would think that that would suit him, kind of almost irrespective of what comes behind him. And it's mm. not yielded massive results. The other thing with Ozil is that he is 31 in October. And, you know, we look at other players in the squad. We look at the age of Aubameyang, we look at the age of Mkhitaryan, and we sort of expect them to to drop off. But I never, ever hear people cite that as a possibility with Ozil, that yeah. he has had his peak and he is not the force that he was. I mean, certainly that's what the numbers bear out. And I know there are numbers in which he does excel, you know, past completion, final third entry, but those are sort of a little bit symptomatic of some of the sort of possess- passive possession football that Arsenal have had in recent years. They're not end products, which is what I'm always yeah. hearing people cry out for. I mean, I, I would I would venture Alex Awobi's got a good few more assists than Meza Ozil this season. Yeah. And I yes. know that will ruffle, ruffle, ruffle some feathers, but... So is Kolasinac. I mean, Hector Bellerin... They're the facts. Hector Bellerin, who hasn't played since January, has three more assists this season than, than Mesut Ozil. So whatever way you want to look at it, however you think of, of Ozil as a player, um, you can't look at the overall situation and not recognise that there is a problem that Arsenal have to solve. And I... I would be very surprised if Ozil was an Arsenal player next season. Really? See, I I agree this is a problem. And I think when you put it like... OK, Arsenal are going to sign a player. He's on 350 grand a week. They sign him in January 2018 or February 2018, as it was when he put pen to paper on the contract. And this is what he produces in the following 18 months. How's that for a signing? You would say, that is not good. We, we, we have not done well there. Um, my concern is I just, I cannot see how they're going to move him on. I think, they're, I think we're going to take a massive hit somewhere. We're going to take a massive hit financially in terms of any kind of fee we might get for him, if we get a fee. But I really think that the club, and I say this, you know, based on no inside information whatsoever. It's just my gut feeling. I feel like they will do as much as humanly possible to move him and his wages to a different club next season. Yeah. Well, it certainly felt like in the first half of this season, that was the plan. And I, you know, I didn't think it was entirely coincidental that when Ozil was sort of reintegrated into the team came 
after the transfer window and, and latterly the the Chinese transfer window closed, I think, in sort of mid-February. But and what, you know, has he's he, back in the side. Has he done anything since he's come back into the team that would make you think, well, or that might make Unai Emery think, okay, yeah, this is the guy for me. I'm not sure he has. No. A couple of those nice choppy goals where he keeps yeah, the ball Yeah, I mean, the they're, 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 they're beautiful. They really are beautiful, but they're they're not enough. For no, they're not enough. I think even the staunchest Özil defender would would have to say he's been fine since he came back into the team. But fine on three hundred and fifty grand a week is not okay. No, it's it's a it's a bad situation. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's a bad situation. I think it's it's one of those things where there was a storm, it all calmed down, and I have a fear that it will all start up again. Um, yeah, it's a marriage of convenience for now, isn't it? Yeah. It was sort of a situation where the team were in a funk. I think it was providing a big distraction as well. And Emery sort of uh, chose to compromise and put us all back into the side. But surely all those issues remain. Mm. Uh, and I do just think economically, it makes no sense for this club. No. If, if, there, if there was some way that I thought we could get someone else to take those wages on, I would definitely sign up to it. Because I don't look at this team, I don't really think that Meza Ozil is the difference between this team being top four and not. I think our issues are in other areas of the field. And I think stylistically, there is a not a great fit right yeah. now and actually I think if we want to play with two strikers sorry I meant to say this but you know it looks increasingly like we do want to play with two strikers I actually think accommodating Ozil as well as two strikers is increasingly tricky yeah you know he, he almost played as a second striker for the majority of his Arsenal career uh, and I, I'm not sure we can quite get away with Ozil and two forwards so yeah yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that it will reach a conclusion this summer, but, you know, the agent's really put his, planted his flag, hasn't he, in the centre of the Emirates pitch. He's got two years to rem- to go on his deal. He's not getting yeah. anywhere. But there's a, that's a bit of posturing as well. You know, that's, that's making Arsenal know that this is not going to be easy. If this is what you want to do, we're not going to make it easy for you. So, you mm. know, cough up. <laughs> I think that could well be... That could well be the thing. You know, I mean, does Ozil, does he want to be a bit part player? Is that what he wants? Really, you know, um, I just I just think the whole thing has got to a point where it needs to, it needs a conclusion. It needs a conclusion. I think Arsenal would be happy for that to happen. Maybe Ozil, not so much. You know, he could... He could feel like, well, I could sit here and I could see out Emery and maybe uh, another coach will come in and things will be better for me. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult one. Uh, we'll leave it there, though, for this half um, because we do have questions uh, from people. So we're going to take a little break. Uh, we'll come back with your questions and more, your questions and more, I should say, in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. On the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. And also on the Arsblog members discord chat server which you get access to if you're an arseblog member on patreon which you can do by signing up uh, at patreon.com forward slash arseblog for a fiver a month you get lots of extra stuff including the uh, arsecast arsecast extra ad free uh, and loads of other stuff in there as well so uh, patreon.com forward slash arseblog uh, do you want to go first i'll let you go first i feel like i've gone first the last couple so uh, oh, how generous of you no no problem. i will go for a question from the discord then, which of mm-hmm. course you get to be a member of if you're a Patreon member. Uh, and this is from Brownlow03. And Brownlow says, you have to make a decision between promoting a young player versus a new signing. Who gets to step up? And then there are four questions. Nketia versus new signing. Reese Nelson versus new signing. Emil Smith-Rowe versus new signing. Or Mavropanos versus new signing. So I'll, I'll mm. go through those one by one. Nketia versus new signing. What do you think? Um, I mean, I, I, like we said in the first half, I think Enkedia needs a loan. He needs to go and play somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But also, who do you sign as a third-choice striker? Who do you sign that's going to come in and say, yeah, I'm quite happy to sit here behind Lacazette and Aubameyang? Um, well, if, you, if you're starting two of them, the third choice will get on a fair amount. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I feel like Enkedia would benefit more from a loan, so I'll take a new signing there, whoever that might be. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Actually, one of the names not mentioned here uh, is Joe Willock, and of the two young players involved yesterday, I kind of feel like Joe Willock probably has the better chance of being involved next season with the first team. I yeah. think Enkedia is going to go out on loan, but I think Willock, I think Emery likes Willock. I think so too, and he's impressed every time he's got a run in the first team. I feel like there could be space for him to step up into midfield, depending mm. on who we sell. You know, Ramsey's going, and then he very much a peripheral figure under Emery. He's clearly not convinced by him. So, you know, if it was a case that Willock could take Elneny's place in the midfield lineup or roster if you like yeah. then I could see how that happens even though they appear to be very different kind of players you know and then he's much more much more of a deeper lying uh, midfield player uh, Willock is 
tasked with playing further forward, mm-hmm. um, as we saw yesterday uh, and when he has played in the first team. So they're not necessarily like for like in that sense, but um, maybe that's something he could do. Who are the others? Reese Nelson? Uh, yeah, I'm going to roll these two into one, the two Bundesliga boys, Reese Nelson and Emil Smith-Rowe. I would give Reese Nelson a run in the team. I think we we sent him out on loan this season to help him develop. I assume with the the plan of reintegrating him or integrating him into the first team. This was a, de- a developmental loan for him. He's gone away mm. to Hoffenheim. I don't think it's been quite as brilliant as some people have said. He certainly scored a good few goals. He had that amazing start. I think it's been a season where hopefully he will have learned a lot. And I feel like he should be given a place in the team because, you know, if we're not going to try and involve some of our academy players, then, you know, what's the point? So I would go for Nelson over a new signing, which doesn't mean I don't think we also need a signing in the wide forward positions. I'll come back to you on that. Um, uh, yeah, and what about Smith Rowe? I mean, there is talk that his loan might extend into next season. I would give him... I think I would give him a loan, but if he were to come back, I wouldn't be that unhappy about it either. You know, he scored three goals this season for the first team. So, you know, there's a there's definitely a player in there. It just depends how ready they think he is for regular Premier League football. Um. And we're not 100% sure exactly where his position is yet, are we? So No. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's probably space for one of these guys in the squad next yeah, season. Not, not both of them. And I think Nelson is probably a little further forward or a little more advanced in his development. Um, the last one, Mavropanos versus a new signing. Oh, new signing. New signing, certainly, for new me. New signing. But I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure it's, it's Mavropanos or a new signing, I think you know it's Mustafi out and a new signing. You know, sure. I think that's where, I think that's where that goes. But just to, to sort of follow up here, uh, Drew twenty nine oh three also on the Discord says with Mane and Salah sharing the golden boot from wide positions and the goals scored by the other top six wingers, Hazard, Sane, Sterling, etc. Is the lack of goals from wide Arsenal's second biggest issue to solve? This summer, Iwobi has four goals in all competitions. Mkhitaryan, I think, is our third highest goal scorer with six. He shares out with Ramsey. So I don't think it's... My sort of current thought is I I don't think it's quite as big an issue as I thought. Just because, you know, by that virtue, every other team in the league could look at us and say, well, we don't have enough goals from centre-forward. Because, you know, Arsenal have got two centre-forwards who scored nearly 50 goals there's no one else in the Premier League who's got anything close to that I don't think maybe Man City with Aguero and Jesus but you know Liverpool don't have that you know Chelsea Mm. don't have that United don't have that Um, not even Spurs I think with Harry Kane so uh, you know we have concentrated our goals through a central a pair of central strikers which is quite unusual in today's game and I think maybe creates a little bit of that disparity. That said, we definitely could do with uh, pace, width, and goal-scoring threat in wide areas. Mm. I, you know, it, I, it's it's high on the list for me this summer. And uh, yeah, I, I I I would love that. I would love it. I've been saying it for a while. I mean, it feels like a few windows now that we've been looking at it and saying, 
a goal scoring wing would be good, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, your question? Uh yeah, this question is from who is it from? Oh, it's from Macca, who's at Arsenal number one on Twitter. And they say, How big an impact do you think Mikatarian's agent ban and Urzel agent's declaration of going nowhere will have on the business we're able to do in the summer? <laughs> <laughs> Without wishing to go backwards too much, I mean, do you think do you think what we're able to do on the incoming front depends a little bit on what happens with those two potentially outgoing? Um, certainly, yes. Yeah, I, I think it must do. You know, in terms of the the wage bill, uh, you know what what. It, it places such importance again on what happens in Baku. You know, the Champions League revenue is, is going to be so important. Um, for what we can do this summer, you know, knowing we've got that extra revenue from from the Champions League, um, and there are other associated revenue streams that come with Champions League, aren't there? You know, mm. uh, I, I'm guessing advertisers and sponsors and commercial deals are easier to do if you're a Champions League club as opposed to a Europa League club. Um, there might well be clauses in certain contracts uh, which see us pay more or get paid more if we're in the, the Champions League. Um, so the budget is is hugely dependent on that. But also, I feel like they could probably commit a bit more or take a bit more of a financial risk if we're capable of doing that, but, you know, spreading out payments for players and that sort of stuff, if you don't have a half a million pounds a week to pay two players, Ozil and, and Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan's on nearly 200 grand a week and Ozil, as we know, is on 350. I feel like that's a consideration for the club and I think that will inform what they try and do this summer when it comes to some departures. Yeah. Of course. The, the Raiola thing is interesting. Have you read about that at all? Yeah, he's I what, mean, banned from doing any deals? Worldwide for three months. And the ban takes him beyond the closure of the English transfer window. So, you know, it would rule out Mkhitaryan moving to an English club, certainly. Yeah, if you know, unless they can do a deal through a third-party agent, which is not I get. Like there must one suspects there's a way around it. Yeah, you know? of course, of course. So yeah, we'll we'll wait and see um, what happens there. Okay, here is a question came from a couple of people uh, uh, at Skipper AFC, who says, "What was the most annoying and damaging result for Arsenal this season?" Uh, and David Casule, who's at David underscore Casule underscore, says, which Arsenal game do you think hurt our top four chances the most? For me, it has to be the 1-1 versus Spurs with the Aubameyang penalty miss. Is that you answering or is that what no, he No, 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 that's Sorry. what he says. That's what David oh, says. Right. He reckons it's that one. Uh, I think, what was the most damaging? Do you know, I actually think it's the Brighton game. I think for me... You know, losing losing at home to Palace obviously cost us more points, but there is a big gulf in quality between Palace and Brighton. Mm. And, yeah, I just sort of can't quite believe that we didn't manage to win that, that Brighton match. So mm. I think that's the one that hurts the most. What about you? I feel like the Palace game, to be honest. Right. Uh, I know there's a, an element of recency bias in there because it's fresh in the memory and, and what have you, but... Because of what happened at Palace, we got it wrong against Wolves. 
in midweek. Sure, we were you left know, the, chasing yeah, we were left, somewhere. You know, so I feel like the knock-on effect of that, like we lost to Palace, then we lost the next two games. Um, and I think that really had an impact. You know, if we'd beaten Palace and then who knows what we could have done against Wolves. You know, this is a team mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that would have been a bit more confident. Instead, it went into an already difficult away game reeling from the fact that they dropped points and it was so self-inflicted as well, the Palace game. You know, the, the second goal uh, at a point in the game when we were absolutely on top, you know, the, the mistake from Mustafi was so needless and unnecessary. Um, it was really a shoot ourselves in the foot moment, I think. And for me, that was the most damaging result of the season. Hmm. Neither were great fun. No. I'll, <laughs> I'll level with you. No. Um, yes, let's have this question from Aaron Rolls. Aaron says... I've seen people scoffing at the rumours we're due to extend Aubameyang and Lacazette on more money for another two years. Where do you stand on it? Surely it's good business and protecting assets rather than overcommitting to a depreciating asset. Well, Lacazette, I can completely understand. There's a lot of talk, isn't there, about Barcelona being interested. I'm not sure whether that's real or whether it's, um, you know, his agent playing the game a bit. And all of a sudden we hear there's contract negotiations and Barcelona are interested. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. What could be going on here? So, uh, you know, I can see why that would be the case with with Lacazette. Aubameyang, I would be slightly... Not reluctant, but it would give me a bit more pause for thought because he's going to be 30, isn't he, in, in June. And next month he'll be yep. 30. So if you're extending him... Like, what length of contract did he sign? Three and a half years? According to Transfer Market, his contract runs until 2021. 2021. Okay, so you're in a position where next summer, yeah, you're two years away. I mean, it it depends what they give him. If they give him an extra year, I think I'd be okay with that. Two years to 2023. I mean, he doesn't, he's not going to have any real resale value. It depends what sort of um, what you expect from him physically and what you think he's going to be capable of and if there's going to be a marked decline. Like if they don't mm. see those kind of... Um, like certain players, I know that the club have made decisions on players in the past where they've sold them, you know, probably at their peak, but with the knowledge that the peak won't last that long. Sure. Um, based on all the information they have about them physically and their injury record and, and all that kind of stuff. So it depends what they think they can get out of Aubameyang. Um, I mean, they are our two, probably two most important players. They, yeah. They, they, they get on well. They've got a good partnership. They are the things that when you think about the strength of this team um they are they're right at the top so yeah i mean why not obamiang if if it's not like a, another 3 years on top of what we've already given him then i think it would be okay um he's on a big contract anyway but you know if he scores 31 goals maybe you can say he deserves a bit of a raise he's doing his job what would yeah. you think 
I think Lacazette makes sense. He's been here two years. I think he's really improved this season. You know, he's a good age. You want to time down. Uh, I think in that case, it is protecting an asset. I think as a Birmingham ages, he becomes less of a sort of asset in the transfer stakes. But I'm quite optimistic about how he will age. I don't want to, you know, jinx him or anything. But I, I don't feel like he's looking massively less sharp, you know, than he was two years ago. And I feel like that goal-scoring instinct is going to stick with him for a couple of years at, at least. Uh, from the, We're probably never going to make a return on Bamiang anyway if we don't sell him pretty soon, just because of his age. So... I, I, yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the point, isn't it? Like, if we're going to, if if the objective is to um get some value back from the fifty five million pounds mm. we spent on him, then the decision to sell him has to take place. Basically now, right? Yeah. But yeah. if the objective is to get lots and lots of goals out of a really good player, rather than trying to cash in, then what difference does it make if we give him an extra year or two? Because we're not going to be able to sell him for that much anyway. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of where I am with it. it you know, unless they're going to give him you know, a £500,000 a week contract, uh, which I don't think they are, you know, what's what harm is it doing to sort of acknowledge the contribution that he's made and to ensure that his partnership with, with Lacazette remains in situ um, for a couple of years yet? Well, I tell you what's interesting is that, you know, Rouse and Ye has been quite vocal about the idea. I think he even said it explicitly. Arsenal will make decisions on players two years before the end of their contract. Yeah. You know, they will either extend or sell. And there is a clutch of players who this summer will be in that position. I mean, Aubameyang is one. Uh, according to Transfer Market, who are generally quite good on these things, uh, I'll tell you who the others are. Okay. They are Socrates, uh, Mesut Ozil, <laughs> Henrik Mkhitaryan, and Shkodran Mustafi. <laughs> One can imagine how some of those decisions might go. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't think Mkhitaryan or Ozil are going to get a new deal this summer. But brace yourself. <laughs> new contract for Mustafi incoming. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, there you go. Look, it just shows you the work that they have to do. And actually, maybe that might make some of the decisions uh, easier for them based on based on the... the yeah, the and, and Socrates, I think, is sort of not really part of the conversation. He's someone who I think they just will say, well, we'll just sort of let him run his contract down. We sort of take the hit. He wasn't very expensive. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, and Yeah, exactly. And if we get to next summer and he's a key part of things, you know, you can always... You can, can always, always offer him, him a couple of years. Yeah, exactly. Sure. You know, um, but it's less pressing in his case. But in the others, you know, there are decisions to be made. And in the case of Aubameyang, I would rather they kept him than that they sold him. Oh yeah, so, listen, you know, I yeah, me too. Me if too. it requires a new deal to make that happen, so be it. The, you know, he's he's worth it for us. Yeah, there's like more than a handful of players that we need to sell. <laughs> before Aubameyang, for goodness sake. Mm, mm. So, uh, okay, speaking of signings, uh, this one comes from uh, 
the Unai View at the Unai View. I was just trying to work out what their Twitter name uh, How was it's pronounced. Yeah, sure. but it, it's just CL and then the arrow soon emoji. So Champions League soon. I'm guessing that's what that is. Uh, he says, if you could sign one player from the Premier League outside the top six clubs, who would it be? For me, for, this is for the Unai View, not me. James Madison. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player. He's not the uh, name I have written down, but... Uh, I would choose Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, that's who I've got. Is it? Yeah. Did you see his run yesterday? I didn't, uh, no. I haven't had oh. a chance to watch Match of the Day yet. He was angry. He, he'd been kicked a lot, as happens, and he just absolutely uh, tore past a couple of defenders. You know, they sort of tried to foul him and he was strong enough to resist. You know, I mean, we saw it at the Emirates Stadium to our cost he just has the attributes that we don't really have you know he he fits what we need I Mm. think in those wide areas the problem with Zaha is he's going to cost an awful lot of money isn't he yeah I'm not I don't think we can I mean it's maybe a bit mad to say Arsenal can't sign a player from Crystal Palace Um, but yeah I mean just in terms of what we miss uh, in the wide areas, he feels like somebody who, at Premier League level, is ready to make a, a step up. Hopefully, um, yeah. And he's good. And I he mean, wasn't as a kid, and I think you know that's held against him a bit. But he was a kid, you know. Mm. I'm trying to think who else is out there. Who else I've been impressed with um, this year? I mean, obviously your mate at Leicester, Ben Chilwell. Yes. Well, I, I saw a story this week that. Manchester City are prepared to activate his release clause, so I've I've really had to let that one. Wasn't I, I, was, I think there on. was something weird going on there because the guy that wrote the story immediately, or not immediately, but pretty much soon after, said, "Ignore that," and the story was oh, deleted. Really? Yeah, I wonder was it like somebody fishing for info or somebody putting out info that as soon as it went out there, it came back on whoever it was given. You know yeah, what I mean? I don't. They're yeah, covering a mole. Who knows? But we'll see. Uh, I think he's beyond our price range as well. Um, the, the guy at West Ham's been quite good, hasn't he? Um, Who's that? Uh, Philippe Anderson. Yes. Yeah, he has been good, actually. He's been quite good. Uh, they've got a good young defender as well, Issa Diop, who I think is... is, is I mean, there's a few centre-halves, to be honest, that I think are all right. Um, yes... I, I like LaSalle's, who plays for Newcastle. I think he's pretty good. I like Harry Maguire and his giant head. Um, yeah, this boy Diop at West Ham. There's a, I mean, Luca Dean at Everton looks like a really good left-back, I think. Decore at Watford continues to be good in midfield and no-one signs him, and I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, it's just a gay at Everton's had a brilliant season. By all accounts, really, really been excellent for them. Paris Saint-Germain apparently looking at him very closely. Right. Yeah, there's a few, I mean, there's plenty of good players out there beyond the top six. I mean, most of those Wolves players, wow. I mean, I like Jimenez, I like Jota, I like, who's the central midfielder? Ruben Neves. Yeah, Jota I They've, really like as well. I think there's something something about his game that it's very yeah. easy to get to get into, isn't it? Yeah, Dotty is good for them as well. The fullback. I mean, they've got yeah, they've got a load of good players. Wolves. I mean, this is the bizarre thing that we are 
you know, Arsenal, we're a big club, but I look at players at Wolves and Crystal Palace and think, ah, we probably can't get them. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it. It's, you know, financially, when you're buying from the Premier League, it becomes, you know, even more expensive because of the, the Premier League tax. And then if you're buying a player who is British or English as well, then that, that adds yeah. some, some money onto it too. Um, I notice we haven't mentioned Ryan Fraser. No, I mean, he's not the, the first name on the list, but I think he is a decent enough player. Um, I think, you know, someone like a Madison is maybe more exciting because they're that that, that bit younger, so we can sort of project their ceiling to be potentially... Who's the other, uh, who's the other lad at, at Bournemouth? Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, yeah, he's a good player too. He looks good. He looks uh, good. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is just the cost. You know, it is it is literally how much these fees are. You know, someone yeah. like... What was Harry Maguire talked about last summer? 65 million? Something like that. You know, that mm-hmm. there's no way I see us spending that on anybody. Anybody. No. Uh, if only we think- had, like, a really eagle-eyed head of recruitment who could find us young talent. <laughs> if only. Hey, I had a question about some of our young talent. Let's okay. have a look at it. It's from the Discord. Um, it's from Mike OC 12 And Mike says... Torreira has suffered form and fitness woes since the new year. As good a player as he was in the first half of the season, how worried are you that the Premier League may be too physical for him? I'm not really that worried, to be honest. I think certainly the first part of his season was better than the second. Well, sort of like the middle third of the season was really good from him. You know, because he was yeah. eased into. He wasn't in the team. No, itself, he wasn't, was it? and he was eased in very slowly by Unai Emery, and then he played really well. And then I think he has obviously had a, a couple of injuries. He's had the suspension, which kept him out of action for felt like a month because of the way the games are scheduled, and we had that period where we didn't have a game, so he didn't really play. I think we have to remember he is still only twenty three which is really quite young. It's his mm-hmm. first season in England, having come from Italy, which is a very different league. You know, um, I think there's enough there. We've certainly seen enough um, from him to be encouraged that next season will be better. That's that's where I am with him. You know, I think he hasn't been quite as influential as we would have liked. Um but I do feel like he's not a player I'm particularly worried about. You know, I think there are other players in the squad who I worry about and think we need to to address much more than Torreira. I agree. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it has been a bit of a... Uh, I suppose a bit of a transitional season for him. You know, he's changed club, mm. he's changed country. Uh, and I think there have been... I'm not sure I think the, the matches are too physical, but maybe the schedule's been quite physical for him, quite intense. Uh, certainly over Christmas, it felt like maybe he had a dip. He's not used to playing without that winter break. He was mm. coming off the back of the World Cup as well, which I haven't heard talked about much in terms of sort of how bad some of the big teams' form has been come the end of the season. But one wonders if the World Cup and internationals have been a, a factor in that. But I think, yeah, next season... Um, he's got the Copper America this summer, but hopefully he gets a bit of a rest after that. And I think, look, we all like what we see, and I think he's 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 got the he's got age on his side in terms of kicking on. Uh, he's he's not a 
a problem for me either. No. I actually think in terms of the physical sort of game to game, I think he's more attuned to what's required in the Premier League than a lot of our other players. Um, he's very combative. You know, he's got that kind of intense style. I, I think he'll be a great fit. It just might take a, a little bit more time. And, and I also wonder if maybe positionally on the field, is there a shift to be accommodated? You know, he arrived and we thought he's going to be at the base of the midfield. Instead, that's sort of still Shaka. But maybe if the personnel changes enough in the midfield, Torreira will kind of mm. take over that role and it might suit him a bit more. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, OK, here is a question uh, from Sufian Zamale, who's at Sufian, who says, would you bring back Olivier Giroud, whose contract ends on June 30th as our backup striker? <laughs> Instinctively, I say no. Um, I suppose the only thing I would say is that if we have to spend money elsewhere and Giroud's happy to come and be third choice, it's not the worst idea in the world for like a year. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like if, if we only do have 40 million and it's like, well, you can have a player for free and they're sort of happy to accept the role and they're an experienced alternative and they'll play in the Europa League, if that's where we are, God forbid, then it's not complete madness to sign someone on a free. But... You know, I'm not desperate to go back to Olivier Giroud. No, no. <laughs> I don't think it will happen, if that's what you're asking. No, we've been there and done that uh, a bit too much. Um, OK, here's just another quick one here uh, before I let you ask another one uh, from mm. Gagan J, who says, looking at our players who have done well on loan this season, how many of them do you think will play a role at Arsenal next season? And in brackets, Chambers, Bielik, Martinez, etc. And of course, uh, to Takuma Asano. Takuma Asano. What a wonderful phrase. Yeah, I, I think he'll be long gone. Isn't there an issue where if he plays anymore where he was on loan, they had to buy him permanently, so they stopped playing him or yeah, something like that? Yeah, I wonder, did that happen, actually? I'm just going to have a look here and see what the what the situation is while you uh, deal with the question, of course. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, David Ospina as well, let's not forget, is still only on loan, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Uh, oh, the Ospina era continues. Yeah, I mean, is he still under contract? Maybe he's the one more year. One more year. One I mean, more is, year. Is that a possibility that he'll be the number two next year? Possible. Possible. You know, he seems to suit what uh, Emery wants, maybe more than Czech. So, I, I think two. that will be Martinez. Actually, I, I, I'm convinced that we will finally get shot of a spinner, and I think Martinez will probably come back as number two. I'm just reading... Um, Asano hasn't played since 31st of March. Right, yeah. He scored uh, one goal for Hanover this season in 16 appearances. No, 15 appearances. Not great. Mm, mm. Sort of so, like the Japanese Amari Bischoff. Yeah, very much so. I think Bischoff at least played for us a couple of times. Uh, who else is there? Callum Chambers. Mm. I'm beginning to think will be in the squad next season. I think so too. I think Bear in so. mind he can play in central midfield and we, you know, if Mohamed Elneny goes, arguably Chambers is sort of, uh, you know, a decent replacement. Mm. Um, and he can play at centre-half, uh, particularly in a three, if we see any more of that. Who knows if it'll be a three or a four mainly next year. But I think, yeah, he will come back in. Um, who else have we got? Bielik. 
I'd like to see Bielik given a go in pre-season and see how he does. Did you see the comments from the Charlton assistant boss at the yeah, weekend? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. He, he was glowing in his um, assessment of, of Christian Bielik, who has played very, very well for Charlton on loan this season. They're in the the playoffs to go up to the championship. I watched them. Uh, I watched the game against Doncaster the other day, and he looks very comfortable in midfield. Uh, uses the ball very well. Moves it quickly for a big guy. You know, he's he is what six four something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So he's a big fucking unit Christian Bielik and they were surprised uh, the Charlton boss or assistant boss was saying we were sort of surprised they didn't call him back in January when they had this problem at, at centre half and he mm. sort of said centre half it really is his position but mm. we're going to play him in central midfield it's been a weird thing because when we signed him um, when he was 16 I think he'd made a couple of appearances for was it Legio Warsaw? Yeah as, as a midfielder as a midfielder and then he was repurposed as a central defender uh, in the Arsenal youth setup and has gone to Charlton uh, as a central defender but played in central midfield I mean it's a big step up from League One to the Premier League but you know there was obviously something in him as a 16 year old that we saw that made us pay two and a half million pounds for him as a 16-year-old. He's gone and had a good season on loan. He's only got a year left on his contract, by the way. So they've got to make a decision on him mm. this summer. So it's going to be, okay, let's take him as a, uh, what would you say, a cost-kind addition to the squad. We don't have to pay any money for him. We can give him a new deal. Um protect the investment to, or whatever you know just I mean, we, yeah, we paid a couple of million quid for him I think, yeah you know, you know so give him, a, give him a three year contract and mm. if he plays well uh, you know you can reassess that a bit further down the line um, and if he doesn't well then you know you can you can move him on without without too much fuss so he potentially could be an addition to the squad next season, but it really depends on on how impressed and what the scouting reports are, are like that that Emery and the uh, the footballing executive staff have have had. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about Smith Rowe and Nelson earlier. Are there, are there any other players out on loan that I'm not thinking of? Um, I'm gonna have to go on the official website. Now, I don't think I? so. It's been relatively small uh, number of players out on loan. Uh, Let's see, first team. It is really, yep, Ospina, Martinez, Chambers, and Asano. So we can can rule out Asano 100%. Ospina, potentially a sale. Martinez, probable backup to Burnt Leno next season. And Chambers, as a young English player, homegrown, you can easily see how he would be part of the squad. Not Mm. least because we've given him two new contracts inside six months last year, so... They'll probably get another one Another this one, yeah, yeah. Another new contract. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've got any more questions to hand. Let me have a little look. Uh, have you got any quickly? Have I got any quickly? I like this one from uh, Good Evening. Good Evening. Um, mm. Who is at G Evening on Twitter. He says, any chance you wafer won't be able to guarantee the safety of Eden Hazard in Azerbaijan? Yeah. You know, it seems like a fair solution to me. 
Yeah, that, that does seem fair. Um, an eye for an eye and all that. Uh, no, I think I've sort of done all the questions okay. I wanted to do, to be honest, mate. A couple, uh, one from Pablo Eagle, at Pablo Eagle, who says, is the City versus Liverpool rivalry shaping up to be the dullest major rivalry in Premier League history? Where's the sniping between managers? Where's the hatred between the two sets of players? Where's the flying fists and pizza slices? There's far too much mutual respect going on. I did say this on Twitter. I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this being the greatest title race. And I would say it's two of the greatest teams to contest a title race. They're fantastic teams, but I'm not sure it made for a particularly thrilling race. There were kind of no real twists and turns between sort of early March and the end. It was just a sort of relentless sprint finish. Uh, impressive but not necessarily particularly enthralling. Yeah, it's like it's like the way tennis used to be. Mm. Full of characters and weird guys and all these battles and what have you. And then it became taken over by these relentless, brilliant, amazing, astonishing tennis machines, but without yeah. any of the personality. It feels like that. Like it's impossible to look at City as a football team, leaving aside all the contrary about how they're owned and all that kind of stuff, uh, which I know is difficult, but, you know, just for the purposes of this conversation, when you look at them as a football team, like I, uh, we've talked about this, I find them boring. I mean, I can mm. see how brilliant they are, but there's just something a bit boring about them. Liverpool, I think, have a bit more about them in terms of personality, and I think that comes from from Klopp in a way, because he is that kind of character. Pep is this kind of sort of very intense, almost Rain Man-like guy on the sidelines, and Klopp is a fucking lunatic at times. Mm. So I think that, that that comes... But, you know, there is something a bit... A bit... Yeah. It's machine-like, you know, and it's... Yeah. In the way they've, and Liverpool they've have become results. more like that in yeah. order to match City this year. You know, they I think they have been less exciting to watch than they were last season. Mm. Um, it is interesting, though, sort of, what it might mean for the Premier League. I mean, the standards that City have set in terms of winning the league, you know, 100 points last year, wasn't it? 98, I think, this time. It, it's a huge tally and it, it lends itself to that gulf between the very top and the teams that follow. I mean, it's just not remotely realistic, is it, for the rest of the top six to even sort of think about getting close to that next year? No, no. No, it's, um, yeah, there's a long way to go for, for everyone else to, to bridge that gap. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, final one. I don't know where you stand on this. Um, this comes from one second now. Uh, why can't I find it? Oh. Uh, uh, okay, Frederick Lundberg. I would say that us looking for the questions has more exciting twists and turns in it than this year's title race. <laughs> okay, Frederick Lundberg. He was not Freddie Jumberg, of course. Sure. He is Frederick Lundberg from, from Denmark, not Sweden, also. Oh, okay. okay. He says, The big rage currently on Danish Twitter is Nutella with or without butter. You already set the precedent with the jam discussion, so I'm curious where you stand on this. Hashtag Arscast Extra. Hashtag forever butter <laughs> wow so right I should come clean I, I think Nutella is delicious but I've never really eaten it on bread I sort of can't quite get my head around that I just sort of spoon it out of the jar when I'm feeling depressed I, I don't like I, I can't really get my head around it as a 
bread. It's sort of chocolate bread. It's sort of too indulge. It's too yeah French, as Dylan Moran might say. <laughs> but I. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, but if I were to do it, I, there's no way I'd be involving butter. No, me neither. I mean, I... Well, you don't have butter with jam, as we no, know. of course. Of course. Because I'm not a monster. But um, <laughs> with Nutella, like, how about no Nutella? Was my was stomach your just stomach? made an extraordinary noise, because, just because we're talking about Nutella. It really did. I was going, did you get... I was thinking, did James get a puppy? <laughs> it was like... <laughs> I, I think it's the thought of butter and Nutella. It's sort of too much for it. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm like I Nutella. Is that not that I dislike it, but I'd never think to have it. Really? Yeah. Like, just, do you know what's da- do you know what's dangerous? What? I've got this thing that I discovered. It's like, do you know those sort of biscuits that you get free with a coffee, like the little oh, caramelly yeah. biscuits? I think it's called Biscoff. Oh, yes, um, the little roundy ones. Yeah, Google Biscoff, B-I-S-C-O-F-F, and they 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 sell that as a spread. Biscoff, no. yeah, it's absolutely... Dang. Biscoff biscuit spread. <gasps> Spreadable biscuits is very dangerous. It's called cookie butter here. Right. Okay, I know the ones you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'll have to give that a try. Yeah, I mean, don't honestly. It'll be the death of you. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, but if you had that with butter, I think you might sort of. I think that would kill you almost instantly. It's just too much. So biscuit butter on butter, on top of Nutella, <laughs> with. Jam. I mean, I admire it. I admire it, but I'm not <laughs> sure I could do it to myself. Oh. Uh, so yeah, I'd be no butter with Nutella. Yeah, me but too. But shout out to all the Danes who are trying it. I mean, they are. You know, that's a commitment. That's a commitment to heart disease. That's exactly very impressive. I have to say. I take my hat off to you. All right. Well done to Team Butter and Nutella. Um, we hope you guys will be around long enough to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> you know, if your hardened arteries will allow. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, that's another season, James. Apart from the Europa League final, Premier League season done and dusted. Watch out on the site for. Uh, our season ratings post we're going to do a player rating and manager ratings post on Ars blog that'll be out tomorrow so keep an eye on that as ever if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes that would be fantastic uh, that's very much appreciated uh, we will have an Arscast on Friday perhaps a bit of a roundtable discussion about the season in general so join us for that in the meantime uh, have yourselves a delicious butter or not butter snack and uh, we'll catch you on the next one bye bye <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.